Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. Hey, my friends, my last six-week course of the year is approaching. It begins on Monday, October 30th. This six-week course is beyond anything you've experienced. We meet four days a week. I will teach you the ins and outs of healing trauma and stress through somatic inquiry, somatic experiencing, and whole food nutrition. You also will have a weekly sound healing, which will help you access your body and get the work to digest on a physical level instead of just a mental one. We have Q&As, we have practice sessions, and we have full-time six-week support via our circle space. If you want to join this next six-week course, go to holisticlifenavigation.com and click on the course. You can join the waitlist, and on September 28th, you'll be invited to register before the public. For more information, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. So on today's episode, I welcome back Carolyn Carter. Carolyn joined me on episode 43, where we spoke about the wisdom of being multi-ethnic. And this woman has just been a very um, kindred spirit for me the last two years. I really enjoy speaking with her. And um, in the midst of, of getting to know her, her daughter, China, passed away. And what she learned from the experience and what she was offering me and teaching me through it was just so gorgeous 
that I thought uh, everyone should hear it who can. And she was really happy to come on and talk about her experience of how she navigated the grief and navigates the grief of her daughter and what helped her transform through the experience and stay connected with herself. I think I'm, I feel like I'm very fortunate. It's a privilege of a lifetime to be with my daughter and bring her into the world when she took her first breath and be with her again alone, her and I, when she took her final breath. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for her life because she taught me so much. And we're all here for a purpose, I believe that. And, and we're here for each other. And I just think that like we are so, when I learned how to be with the pain, not, not learned, I'm learning. Let me just say, I'm learning that sitting with the pain is secure to the pain. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. So I'm welcoming back to the podcast, Carolyn Carter. Thank you, my friend. Hi, good morning. How are you, Louise? I'm good seeing you. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. And, you know, I, I forget why. I think we were just connecting to connect. I, I don't even remember. Was it a year ago? Um, you know, when you were telling me about your daughter, China, and I had said to you, I think as you're moving through this more and you feel ready to come onto the podcast and we can share some of this wisdom that came through this experience to help others Mm -hmm. um, and kind of riff on that together. So I guess what I'll do is I'll first ask you just to tell us that experience for people listening who aren't aware. Okay. Okay. We can start there. Um, So are you going to, you want to ask first or you just want me to come out with the with yeah, them. well, tell us however you want to tell the story about her life and, and her death. You know, you tell us what that looks like to you. There's so many people going through things right now, but I, I really feel compelled to share this story because my daughter always um, wanted to write her story. And she mm-hmm. was kind of writing her story um, and didn't really get a chance to complete it. She did a video about her story. Um, but she has a real story about joy and pain and grief and loss and transformation, um, and just the journey to wholeness and completion, which is the journey that we will all partake in, that we are partaking in. We're here for a purpose. And my daughter... She was a true Scorpio. (laughs) She was a true Scorpio. She had a lot of passion, a lot of fire, real strong will, and very magnetic. People were very attracted to her, and she had people around her all the time. She loved to cook. She was a great cook. She could whip up gumbo in like, I don't know, 30 minutes. It's like miraculous, but her gumbo was famous, Uh, and uh, she had a restaurant with with her brother and her husband, and um, she also worked with kids that were in alternative school settings 
um, middle school and high. And that was her love, her passion. She was fierce about protecting them and, and, and guiding them. So she had lots of talents, lots of passions, but she lived for her two sons, Larry and Cameron. And uh, she went through a loss. The love of her life, her husband at 29 passed away when the children were young. Um, it really, it broke her. That was her her love, her first love. And, um, and along that journey, you know, you make decisions. You, we talk about numbing and addiction and just how we're not able to sit with pain. And so she did that. She did everything to numb um, so she could get, get on with her life. But it never really kind of went away. And she did, she did through her journey. She, she thought she would never be able to love like that again and never be able to love again. But she did, and she did fall in love again, and she remarried. Uh, and she, during that course of her mourning and grief after my son-in-law, Larry, passed away, um, she got sick. She, uh, she went to kidney failure at the age of 29, 30. And uh, her kidney function was like three or four, three percent. Both of them were failing, and they didn't think she was going to make it then. But she did, and she had to be on hemodialysis for a year. If you know anything about hemodialysis, you know that that's no way to live. And um, I sat with her three to four days a week, four hours a day, sometimes longer, and saw how weak and frail she was and like mom I don't know if I can live like this but I'm gonna I'm, I'm you know I just I'm doing this for the boys uh so um my son her brother at 23 was a living donor he he, he was a perfect match for her and so a year she was after a year she um her and my son went into surgery and she got a perfectly great kidney from her breath. And um, it changed her life. She changed her life. She dealt with the, you know, with with her alcohol, with the drinking and all the numbing addictions that we all do when we're in pain because we don't know how to be with pain. And um, she had a great like eight years, you know, I mean, she she was on a lot of immunosuppressants, so she had lots of infections, but she was in and out of the hospital, but still she never let that get her down. Um, and then she had to deal with another blow, which was uh, they found out she had an autoimmune disease that was attacking the new kidney. And then she had to be on heavy steroids, which further compromised her immune system. More infections in and out of the hospital, didn't get her down. She was moving. She she was living. We she traveled while she was on um, peritoneal dialysis. She never let anything stop her from living her life and loving her family, and taking care of her boys and and having them experience life. She traveled with them. So, um, lots of great memories. And then comes twenty twenty. We find out in May of 2020 that she has a very aggressive rare cancer. They can't, that uh, 
people knew very little about. And um, she was determined. She wasn't ready to give up on that, even though they said it was a very rare aggressive terminal cancer. She said, do whatever you have to. And she did. Um, went through so many rounds of chemo radiation uh, while dealing with her kidney situation at the same time. Um, and she fought, she fought real hard. And it was a difficult journey to witness um, just the grief, not just being a mother and watching your daughter suffer so many years and not being able to take that pain away, but also witnessing the grief of your grandchildren, your husband, your son, you know, and carrying your own grief at the same time. And um, when my daughter decided that, you know, okay, I, I think I'm ready. It was about 18 months after her diagnosis. And um, she made the decision that she was ready because she didn't want to be on any life support. And so once she, she, you know, the doctors came in because she had pneumonia. They wanted to put her on a ventilator. She said, no, no, no. And um, after that, you know, I, mean, she, I think she realized that I'm making peace with this, you know, making peace with what is. Her faith was very, very strong. She was a woman of strong faith. Her and her husband prayed every afternoon at noon. If it's there or not, they'd get on the phone, they'd pray. They were very uh, strong, faithful people. Um, and so after the doctors left, she said, Mommy, can you come lay down with me? And I said, yeah. I came and I laid down with her. And she said, um, we put our heart, her hand on her hand was on my heart. My hand was on her heart. And, you know, I said, you know, we will always be together. And she said, I know. And she said, my heart is with, with Savannah. My heart is in Savannah. That's my granddaughter. That's her, her, she's Nana to Savannah and also uh, Auntie to Savannah. And she said, my heart is always, is, is, is with Savannah. And I said, I know. And she said, Mommy, how long is this going to take? And I said, you know, baby girl, that's going to be up to you. And she said, yeah. So, um, and she was, and it was, you know, a conversation that was difficult, but it was also like you, it's like you are behind a veil when you're in that space. And it's a realization that things go on. And we have to face that we go on. And so um, it was a, a few weeks after that, she, um, she passed three days after her 41st birthday. She was born November 12th. And her passing was on November 15th. And on... Uh, the day that she passed, my sister and I, we were in the room that morning. We were singing, you know, we were singing 
to her songs. I surrender all the CC Wine and song. We're playing that, singing and just playing all kinds of music just to soothe her. But that particular song we sang just to help her to make peace with that, what she was going through. She was on a lot of pain medicine. So she was not, you know, like up, you know, like her eyes were closed. And I also sang to her a song that my mother, she's Korean. My mother would sing to all of us and all her grandchildren. This um, Korean song is called San Toki Tokyo. And when she's, she was the first granddaughter and uh, my mom like spoiled it rotten. So she would have her on the back and take a, a sheet and wrap the sheet around. She did this with all the grandchildren <laughs> and tie it up and walk around, you know, and to put them to sleep or soothe them. And she would walk around. She, and we all know this song. It's called San Toki Tokyo. It's about a rabbit that goes up to the mountain all to the top of the mountains to gather uh is it nuts or acorns or whatever and and so um i sang her that song because it has a special meaning in in our family like we all know that that song was what grandma saying you to you when she was putting you to sleep when she was soothing you it's kind of like a happy it's a happy song but it's like a lullaby a happy lullaby kind of thing and I sang her that, and I was saying to her, I know I'm not saying the right words in Korean. <laughs> but you get it, you get it, you know what I'm saying. Um, so she, um, so I went out the room because the nurses had to come to do some things. And then when I came back in the room, I when I was off the room, I was in the bathroom. I had my word with God. I just was angry. I was like... How much suffering can you allow someone? You know, like I was angry. I'd never been angry with God before, but I was angry. And I was in a bathroom. It's like, like, where is your mercy? You're merciful, but where is it? And I was just like shocked at myself because I never had a conversation like that with God. And when I went back in the room, it wasn't that much. It was like maybe 30 minutes later, I sat down and was holding her hand. And I just heard a lot of exhale and there was no inhale. Her last breath. And um, she had a very peaceful look on her face. And in my heart, I knew that she gave that breath up. And it, um, and, and she, I really felt deeply that she was, it, she was ready. And I really think we have more, more say over that process than we believe that we do. And um, it was, it's difficult. And in the room, it said happy birthday because it was her birthday three days ago. So the nurses were happy birthday. There were roses in the room and oils in the room, and I oiled her hands and her feet and um, her head and um, put rose petals over her whole body and um, kissed her lips, kissed her hands, laid with her for a few hours until I felt like it was ready to go. So 
I think I'm, I feel like I'm very fortunate. It's a privilege of a lifetime to be with my daughter and bring her into the world when she took her first breath and be with her again alone, her and I, when she took her final breath. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for her life because she taught me so much. And we're all here for a purpose. I believe that. And, and we're here for each other. And I just think that like we are so, when I learned how to be with the pain, not, not learned, I'm learning. Let me just say I'm learning that sitting with the pain is the cure to the pain. And Romy had a quote that in 2015, I found this quote and it said, the cure for the pain is in the pain. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But it was like, it would not leave me alone. Like that quote wouldn't leave me alone. I had to, I had to sit with it because I have fibromyalgia. I have chronic pain and I've had since 2006. And um, that's been like my companion, that roomy line. It's been a companion for so many years. And I find that there's so much depth and truth in that. The pain, the cure for the pain is in the pain. Because when we resist pain, it holds us. We are feeding it our energy. Anything we resist and learning is, is we're, we're feeding it. We're making it stronger. We're making it bigger. But to sit with it like a friend, like you sit with your grief like a friend, um, and listen to it, you know, and like, like really go in your body and like, hey, you know, what, what's this about? You can have a conversation with it. Um, but the grief, is, it's in your body. It's in our bodies. Grief is in the body. And we're in the midst of a pain, a pandemic. You know, we don't know how to be with pain. And so when we don't know how to be with something, it becomes a shadow. It becomes somewhere a dark place in our psyches. And we project that darkness onto the world. And we don't realize what that projection goes into our families, our children, our, our, our communities. Um, and then we look around us and we wonder why we're in the state that we are in. Because we're not, we're not being with the pain and transforming it and alchemizing it and letting it be the invitation because grief and pain is an invitation to ourself, the truth of ourselves. There is no life without suffering. Let's pause right there. Mm. I mean, first, first of all, thank you for telling us that beautiful story. It's so, um, I think people listening might be thinking that's unimaginable, right? Because um, for a lot of parents, it's unimaginable to think that you'll be assisting your child to die. You think that you'll pass before they will. And so there's so much that comes up for me when you when you share this. Um, two things are, we talked about this on the phone last night about grief being an opening. Right. And you're saying that grief and pain brings you to these more true, deeper parts of yourself. I think my first question for you, which would help a lot of people listening, 
What did you learn or feel or experience from your grief with your daughter, China? Like what, what opened in you as she was dying when she passed, you know, since then? So since then, well, the whole journey, it's, uh, it's amazing what we can go through. And I, 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 I never thought that I would survive anything like that. Never, no, no, no parent does. It's, uh, it feels so unnatural, you know? Um, and I never thought I would survive it. It's unthinkable. Uh, but what it does is it, I can either, suffering and pain and grief can do two things. It can open us up where we meet our true self and realize our, our immortality, you know, our, our true self, the higher self, the immortal self, or it can break us down when we do, when we push it down and we don't meet it. It can do that just like with any other substance with, with, um, fire is a purifier, but it also can destroy. Water can purify, it can destroy. It has those properties. The same, grief has the same property. It can purify or it can destroy. Um, and so if you, when you're going through the fire of grief, and it's a fire, it's a fire, it can, it, it, it can burn you, it can destroy you. But I think you're in the midst of it. You can always stop and pause and make a decision and say, how am I going to relate? What is my relationship with this grief? What is it? How do I relate to it? What does it have for me? So tell us something specifically for you based on that. How does it feel in your body when the grief comes in? What's the felt sense? And then when you get curious, you go, oh, hey, grief, what are you here to do? What has it? Give us an example of how that, like walk us through that for those listening. For what it feels like? What it feels like and what the relationship is like when, when you actually start saying, you're allowed to be here. I'm listening. What do you have to show me? What do you need? Tell us where that, like, where did it, where does it take you? Because it's always going to be different, but maybe like, you know, let your mind lend us one example of what was a moment where you felt the grief related to it and then what happened? So, um, like right after I write a lot, so I write like, like my feelings and what happens, like it goes into my poetry and into my writing. So, when I feel that tsunami, that wave where I just feel like I cannot go on anymore and I can't breathe anymore. And it's just like the breath feels like so heavy, so heavy. And um, it's like you're swallowing, feels like you're swallowing a bowling ball. That's how the ache is like here in your in my throat. And I sit with that. I'm like, who is that? Like what? What is that? And what am I going to do with it? And I, I go through all kinds of emotions. I go through anger and rage and resentment. And then I allow myself to feel through the process. And, um, and then I, I might start writing. I start crying. Um, and, I, and in my writing, the writing could be, you know, a writing with, with a lot of rage and, uh, 
The writing could be soft and gentle. It just depends on where I am, but what my relationship with the grief is, is I'm trying to be with it as as a friend. We get angry at our friends sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't want to be bothered with our friends and sometimes we love them and want them near. And sometimes we don't want them near. And it's the same, my relationship with grief is the very same. It's not going anywhere. This grief is not going anywhere. I will die with it. I will die with it. And how I die with it is up to me. It's up to me. Is it going to, am I, am I dying with this grief? Because grief is love. If we did, if we, the opposite of grief is, well, it's not even the opposite. Grief is love. If there isn't love, there isn't grief. We only love it because we love. That is the only reason. If I did not love her, I would not have the grief to hold. Well, it's almost like the grief is our word for when there's so much love, it starts to hurt. Like it it doesn't know where to go. So I I like how you said it's not the opposite. It is the love. It's just the love stuck in us instead of moving through us in that way. It is the love. And I I just think like the deeper you love, the deeper the grief. Yeah. So if I lose something, like let's say I lose a diamond ring, I might grieve over it for, I loved it for but I'm not going, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to be the grief that that just like is in every cell of my body and every atom. That's not that kind of grief. It's a grief, it's a loss. But when you love, when you, the deeper you love someone, the deeper and the harder and the more painful the grief is, the suffering. And when I think about Christ, it's like, you know, that suffering, like the father and the son, I just think about like, is this is how God felt when mm-hmm. son was on the cross? You know, I mean, whether you believe it literally or not, it, whether you think it's just a story, it's still, it still evokes this emotion mm-hmm. from the stories. Stories teach us we That's are, right. we are stories. We all well, are. What I'm curious about with this part of your story is when I think about what you were saying earlier, the thing you resist, you feed, right? And then I heard you say something that when you told me this a while ago too, when we were talking, I remember it moved me and it was gratitude. You had, you, you said, I, I felt grateful and honored that I was able to be there for her first breath and be there for her last breath. Now to overcouple that moment of her death with gratitude and being honored, that's a different physiology. You know, your body's going to open into that instead of fight against it. I hear there was also some fighting. And in that moment of I'm honored, I'm grateful, this, in my experience, at least these transformations occur. So how much is gratitude part of your practice and medicine with navigating the grief? Um, of China, who we're speaking about, but any grief in your life and pain, like where, tell us where gratitude comes in. Well, I think gratitude comes in. It's like part of the pain. So I recognize that if I never, if she never chose to come through me, 
I would never have that. I had the kind of love. My daughter and I were the best of friends. It wasn't always like that when she was in, <laughs> you know, when she was like an adolescent, like, Lord, I wanted to, you know, <laughs> we had those moments, right? right but right. as an adult and all the things that she went through, we became the best of friends. We had the most close and intimate relationship. We traveled together. We laughed together. We cried together. We shared secrets. And that, I would take overwhelming suffering for that. So the gratitude comes when I realize that what I had and what I still have, I still have that. And part of the gratitude is learn, I I have to be like, I need to still be in relationship with my daughter in a different dimension, in a different realm, in a different way. And so the grief brings me there like there is completion, but but we go on. And so how, how can I be in relationship with my daughter where she is now in that space in union? That she is love. And the only way that I can ever be with her again is to be closer to what she is so that I can hear her in my heart, so that I can hear the voice of God in my heart again, so that I can be with her. And so I don't want gratitude to sound like some soft, fuzzy, positive psychology thing, because that's not what I'm talking about. We can feel gratitude and grief at the same time. We, you come to an understanding where we can hold two very, very, very seemingly opposing forces and things together at the same time. And it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I can hold my grief and my sorrow and my gratitude together. It doesn't mean I have to be smiley and, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm so grateful, <laughs> you know. Oh, everything is fine. I'm so grateful. No, mm-hmm. no, it sucks. Mm-hmm. I feel sucky sometimes. It really sucks. And, you know, it gets messy and ugly and, and I cry and I get angry. And, I, and then at the same time, I feel this sense of, oh, sis. She chose me to come through. She chose me. She came through me. She chose me for the first breath. And she chose to be with me for her last. So that's important. That's important. Um, it's so important what you're saying. Because when we use words like complete and whole, it sounds like... Um, the put like a period at the end of the experience, like done over. And when I hear whole and when I hear complete, I, I visually I see like a compost heap where everything belongs and everything becomes new life, including the sorrow, including the pain, including the joy, including the gratitude. So to be able to feel like as you're speaking, I'm hearing the, just the statement, everything belongs. And when I think of completeness, it's not like something just ends and you're great for the rest of your life. 
it's that everything belongs. You're complete with it all. So if there's this sorrow at the same time as a gratitude inside of you and you're holding both, to me, that's an extremely a holistic experience that's actually sustainable instead of bypassing one for the other, right? Yes. Yes. And I just think we live in a world of duality where we believe it's either or good or bad, this or that, right or wrong. And we live in a, it's everything is on a spectrum. That's what I'm learning. It's a spectrum. It's not linear, but it's a spiral. 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 Yeah. Spiral. And feelings are on a spectrum and experiences lie on spectrums and so i i think we're learning through all the grief and which is the invitation which is a divine invitation to come home to ourselves and once we're home to ourselves we're at home with all that was that is that will be and this great invitation, this time of the great invitation. Home. I'm hoping that we learn how to be with our grief and be with its power and its gift. And I'm hoping that we learn how to see in every person that we behold, that we set our gaze upon that love that we lost or the thing that we love because we are an extension of each other. Mm. And so these times are filled with great opportunity and these times that feel so wicked and hard to be in and hard to understand so much death and violence and pain and sickness and disease are filled with grief and suffering. And that's the invitation to come back home. I really love that statement, the great invitation, because I think every sensation is an invitation, isn't it? Whether it's inviting you into your joy, inviting you into your anger, inviting you into your sorrow, all these parts of you that because you know we have human bodies and brains it feels so linear but we're so universal and so each sensation and emotion and experience is almost like a taste of another part of us and and all those parts are so uh, they're so powerful isn't the word they're, they're like they're so honest when they're all interrelated you know when one isn't being shoved to the side but they're all just communicating together as they beckon Yeah. So, I mean, reciprocity is one of the primary laws of the universe. We are in relationship with every single thing, every single thing. And as you said, you know, isn't everything animate once we gaze upon it? Once we touch it, Mm -hmm. once we feel into it, we animate that thing. That's, it's, if we don't, if we, if we can just stop, like slow down for a moment. And when we walk, we're in relationship with the ground. It's touching us and we're touching it. 
And when we breathe, we're in relationship with the air. And when we take a walk and gaze up at the sky or the bird, we are in relationship with it. That gaze has an effect on the thing that we are witnessing. And the thing that we are witnessing, it has an effect on us. Reciprocity is the universe. There is nothing that is not giving and receiving. If there is giving, there's receiving. There is some relationship. And if we're unaware of our of that energetic or spiritual, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it, you know, Qi, Shen, Yen, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. You, there's a constant flow. Everything moves. The Gospel of St. Thomas says, what is the king, what do you like in the kingdom of God? He said, it's like, the kingdom of God is like movement and repose. Mm. Moves and rest. Moves and rest. Even in our breath, there is movement constant. There's two pauses. You have an inhale, pause, an exhale, pause. And everything and each of those stages of the breath are in relationship with each other. So if we if we really try to live intentionally, we will see that the other is not someone separate from us. That our gaze and that our sense that we are sentient, that we can touch, that we can see, that we can feel. It 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 indicates that yes, everything is relational. Nothing is separate. Nothing. What I love about this is um it's it's a great reminder of the relationship is is inside of me as much as it's outside of me. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you said like I touch it or I gaze it and it's animate. It's like I think if I look at the rock where I feel that rock in my body, that's my relationship. That's how my body connects. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a just a beautiful reminder of of these people and places living inside of us. And it it we have to close soon, but it, it makes me think of what you said a little earlier when you were saying about um how can I relate with China now? You know, now that she's not on this earth realm in the same body, how do I relate? to her and you said something about going inside and it's it's like you're mothering and her and all those relationships and all those moments with her they 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 live in you they're that doorway and i always uh, get that image of jesus you know pointing to his chest and like all that light coming out yeah. as just that reminder of like it's all inside of us so we just feel into it it all lives there right yeah, that's such a great image, the sacred, the, the the sacred heart with the fire, because that it, that is a great image to um, to illuminate the pain and the love at the same time, the passion mm-hmm. of Christ. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a beautiful. That is really a beautiful image of a way to look at, you know, at Christ and. Um, yeah, I just I just. I just think we live in a time of great opportunity and a great invitation. And my my hope and my prayer is that we slow down and learn how to be with ourselves. It's the only way we're going to be able to be with each other. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
with each other. So yeah, I'm constantly like in relationship, learning how to be in relationship with my daughter in that room because um, like she's mothering me in the spirit. It's just like mm-hmm. we switch places. Like she's my spirit mother now. You yeah, know? I love that she. <laughs> this, I mean, she joined the ancestors, right? Like literally that's holding like, space for yeah, you. That's right. Like she's yeah. mother. It's like we flipped roles, right? So, <laughs> that's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, you know, you're. Mm-hmm. What were we gonna say? No, I have a poem. If we have time, that I'd oh, love please, to let's close on that. Boy, before before you read it, um, mm-hmm. anyone that resonates with you and wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Um, they can go, I have a, I have a, um, a website that I'll be launching in the next few weeks, or they can go to, this, this will be out by then. So yeah. So okay. let us know. Um, it's a oh gosh. No, I don't, I've got to find it, but you know what? <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes for you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so everyone listening, out. go to the show yeah. notes of this episode and you can get Carolyn's information. Or you can go um, to Instagram or at, at Luna Bloom on, um, at Instagram on Instagram. Okay, well, let's close with this poem. This sounds like a good way to close. Yeah, because this, like, I love, like, that I put everything into my poems. This poem is called Smile. When I surrender to my broken heart, when I permit its crimson rivers to burst through throbbing holes in my chest, when I feel my eyes soften to receive the purifying waters, when I sense its moist, warm tickle and sting flow down my thirsty cheeks. When I bow to the crushing tsunamis of grief that leave me breathless. When I taste the bitter sweetness of my salty tears. When I rest in this heavy ache. When I carry it tenderly and touch it gently. It dissolves into me so beautifully. And I remember that it is undying love. I remember breath is eternal, in motion and rest, rising and falling, coming and going, giving and receiving. It's like the ocean's tides, kissing the longing parched shores and returning to itself. I remember I am the cosmic ocean, and then I feel the whole soul smile. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions, that's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time.
Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.